Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. And uh, my name is Todd Micah. I'm the author of Tales from Grimguard, an anthology of dark fantasy, and the Grimguard role-playing game. And I had never watched Avatar until now. If you've been following along with us, then you know that we've been taking two episodes at a time of Avatar The Last Airbender. We discuss the episodes, we weigh in with our personal opinions and some fun trivia for you guys. And today we are at episode 17, The Northern Air Temple. Some stats on this episode, it was written by Elizabeth Welch Ehaj. Now, is that the relation to, is it Aaron Ehaj who's been doing this? Yep. Okay. Yeah, this, that is his wife. Okay, I, I thought maybe it was his wife. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Is there any, like, we haven't seen an episode that she has written before, have we? I don't think so. Um, I honestly can't remember if she has written more episodes beyond this one. Um, I think she might do some season two or three episodes. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't, I think this is the first one we've seen of her uh, for this season. Now... Just so I know, I mean, you you're 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 the super fan here. So, is there any like fun trivia? And I don't want to spoil your fun facts if that's one of them. But is there like some? Do they duo on this? Are they the husband wife writing duo? Do they do this kind of thing all the time? Are they both write on the same show? Uh, I don't know honestly. Um, just because I know more about Aaron Ehaz's. Uh, if I'm saying that wrong, I'm so sorry, Aaron. <laughs> um, but uh, I know more about his work than his wife's. Um. So, you know, I think I mentioned in the first episode that Aaron Ehaz, after he finished uh, Avatar, he went on to create uh, his own show, The Dragon Prince, which is actually on Netflix right now. Mm -hmm. um, and fun fact, the main character of that show is voiced by Jack DeSena that voices Sokka here. So, like, we got a little synergy there. <laughs> <laughs> That's really um, funny. Yeah, and apparently it's really good. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but... Well, yeah. just for the record, I pulled her up on the uh, IMDb, and she has... She's a staff writer for a ton of episodes. Like, literally, mm -hmm. there's, what, 60 episodes of the show? She's 62, a staff, I think. She's a staff writer for 48 of them, and she has credits of written by for eight episodes. So, but yeah. she has, but she has no other writing credits. Everything is Avatar: The Last Airbender. So she just came in on this. Apparently, she's just like, <laughs> I really love this show. When she was done, she was like, My life is fulfilled. <laughs> <laughs> right? I can, I can retire now. I'm never gonna top this. <laughs> <laughs> never gonna, my career has peaked. Well, right? I mean, being a writer for a majority. Yeah, staff writer for basically all of of one of the number one rated animated shows of all time is a huge feather in your cap. Like if that's all I did for my writing career, I would be like, I'm good. <laughs> Done. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Uh, the episode is directed by our boy, it's your boy, Dave Filoni. It's your boy. <laughs> I love that that just become a running thing. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and animated by DR Movie. The episode aired November 4th, 2005, and the IMDb rating for the Northern Air Temple is uh, 7.9 out of 10, which is a pretty impressive score. Is it? <laughs> I mean, I okay. Like... I, I I mean, I mean, I'm not gonna lie. I felt I I personally felt like the episode had like high and low points. So I was kind of wondering mm -hmm. about whether I didn't know if this was gonna be one of those episodes that the fans relegated to like filler 
or if this right. was going to be like, oh, but it has awesome battle in it, so it's a really cool episode, really high rated. So I really didn't know what rating to expect coming into this. I was actually very curious. We'll get into our, our feelings on the episode uh, in a minute, but first we got only two fun facts, because this did not have a lot of fun facts. <laughs> this is kind of a stretch, but... Um, uh -huh. So our first fun fact is that Sokka in the... And this one is so hard to say for some reason. Mechanist. The mechanist idea <laughs> of adding the scent... Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, of adding the scent of rotten eggs to the gas to identify the source of the leak is similar to real-world process to the world... I cannot talk today. Oh my gosh. Let's try that again. <laughs> Sokka and the mechanist idea of adding the scent of rotten eggs to the gas to identify the source of the leak is similar to the real world process of adding ethanethyl. Eth this is a mess, guys. Holy shit. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, to otherwise odorless LPG to make it detectable to humans. That was way too many words in that sentence. I'm well, so you know, sorry. Well, you know, Sokka, Sokka is our, he's our science lad. And he, he has never failed to impress with his intelligence. And so, like, it makes sense that the real world brilliance of being like, yeah, let's add this component so we can actually smell it. Um, yeah, that they would do that. That's very cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Way to save that. <laughs> that was terrible. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We don't do science. Anyway. We do media commentary. This Seriously. is a cartoon show. You want some science? Go watch Bill Nye, okay? Right. Oh, my God. I love Bill Nye. Anyway. <laughs> All right. And then our second fun fact is at the 2005 San Diego Comic-Con, the creators showed animatics for this episode under the working title, The Gliders. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, they showed kind of, off like, a preview to... of this like in, produ in production or pre-production? Yeah, so for anyone that doesn't know, you included, um, animatics are basically like storyboard, like animated storyboards, um, not done on paper, but in a computer, and then just basically sequenced to make it look like, you know, a really, really rough scene. Um, so the fact that they did this, um, you know, what's weird to me is that they showed this animatic of this episode, but why this episode? Like, out of all the ones from season one, you know, at the 2005 San Diego Comic-Con, why, why I have, this I have, a, I have a theory off the bat. I have, I have a, an educated guess. I notice in, mm -hmm. in, I think, this episode and in the episodes following, because I've watched a bunch of them by now, um, that there's an awful lot of CGI used that, like, it's animated mm -hmm. over, but, like, especially the tanks in the episode, I believe, are CGI'd. Oh, yeah. And so I feel like because I see a lot more of that, and were the gliders CGI? I don't recall I them don't being the CGI. Think so? No, like the, yeah, no, they. I don't think that they are. They didn't look like they are. If they are, <laughs> the tanks are, I think the... were, and they definitely are in later oh, yeah, episodes. Sure. A few episodes later, um, but like, yeah, that's really funny that they were using the animatic for it. Maybe it was just easier, like, to show a preview for it to hype people up by just putting some CGI gliders and flying them around rather than having animators work for tireless hours making drawings as a test. That's maybe. very cool. My or maybe, oh, ooh, I actually, I have a theory real quick. Mm -hmm. um, now that I'm thinking about it, I bet that the reason that they showed this episode is because I would 100% like qualify this as a, like maybe not 100%, like 90% I would qualify this as a filler episode. Um, there are certain things that come back from this episode later down the line, but 
the episode as a whole, you could show this to anybody and they wouldn't like there it's kind of self-contained. Um, and so I bet that that's why they probably showed, um, you know, a preview of it because it's not like, you know, the next three episodes that are all, you know, tightly wound and part of its own it story. Like it's kind of its own thing of the, of the storyline people have been following. It wouldn't reveal anything. I mean, let's right. face it of the two episodes before and the two episodes after, if they showed anything from them, people who are back on episode like 11 would be like, Oh, that happened. Wow. We just spoil it for us guys. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but that's very cool. All right. So I mean that's that's literally all I have for fun facts. Not not great, but um it's fine. <laughs> all right. So tell me, what are your thoughts on this episode? So so first of all, so the whole gist of the episode is that they go to the Northern Air Temple and find that it has been industrialized. And it's a really interesting episode because it was very interesting to me because when I saw this, I, my eyes immediately opened wide and I was like, okay, so where are they taking this? Are they, is this going to be a Aang sees that the, you know, the, the precious traditional ancient sacred things are being marred by modern industry and eventually he learns that it, it, the introduction of modern innovations are okay is it the other way? Are they all blinded to industry and progress and they don't realize that they're destroying something sacred and Aang is going to change their ways by the end of the episode? Mm. And kind of, none of the first one happened and only kind of <laughs> the second one, it was almost like Wrecking Ball goes through the sacred statues and he's like, hmm, yeah, progress can't really get out of hand. Okay, guys, demolish that one next. Like, they they, they cut... <laughs> They don't really have plans to stop. They they don't even. It's not even like an aha moment for them. They're just like, yeah, mm -hmm. we really are getting kind of carried away. Oh hey, the Fire Nation's attacking. <laughs> wow, right? fancy that. I guess we can't stop our industry now, Aang. Sorry. Right. Yeah. Um. But because it really introduced an interesting concept that way. Um. Because we've talked about before how the Fire Nation has a huge. Uh, a huge edge on the other nations um, at least in so much as the fact that their particular bending gives them really advanced at least what we recognize traditionally in our real world as technology the fire nation mm -hmm. um, allows them to do metallurgy so they have metal battleships and they have war machines and tanks and those kinds of things that yeah sure okay like a giant blade of ice from a waterbender is going to put that thing on a commission fast but like we recognize that as it being a really advanced you know a really advanced technological society um right and so and so to see people in the in the air temple of all places with industry of their own was really interesting to me to see innovations from the other because then my brain goes but how in the world did they make metal pipes without fire bending and then I'm like, well, they probably just use regular fire. I was and regular like, regular um... furnaces. <laughs> like after a while, the show kind of brainwashes you, where it's like, but there's running water. But how do they get running water when no one here is a waterbender? <laughs> oh Lord, yeah. How do they get Normal cabbages without cabbage exist. man? <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, normal stuff does still exist in this world. Like it's not solely reliant on bending. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, it's just kind of like, it's like seeing a Fire Nation guy go walking down the street. It's like, you're wearing blue? You're not allowed to wear blue. You're a firebender. This is Fire Nation. Wear your black and here. red. <laughs> right. right. You traitor, lock him girl. up. <laughs> Are you, was that all that you had to say? Or, yeah, no, I mean, there's I... more There's more to say about it. But yeah, no, I just don't want to monologue. So yeah, your thoughts on some things. <laughs> um. Okay. Love you, Elizabeth, but this is Are we is holding probably... back a storm? <laughs> <laughs> no, just kind of a... Uh, like, this is my least favorite episode of the entire show. Not gonna lie. Really? It's Whoa! Not... Yeah, I know, I know. Like, literally, when I was... <laughs> when I was writing up the script for this episode just now, I was having to, like, literally think, kind of like how you did. I had to go back in my head. I was like, what happens in this episode again? Like... They go to the Northern Air Temple and they meet the mechanist and his son and then the Fire Nation attacks. And is that it? I honestly can't remember. Like I have, this is my least watched episode of the entire show. And it's, you know, it's bad when I have damn near every episode, including the Great Divide memorized, but this one I don't because I don't watch it. I just, I really, for some reason, this one just, it does nothing for me. Um, Really? And I, I know a lot of people say, oh, the Great Divide's the worst or Bato of the Water Tribe is the worst. And I'm like, nah. Yeah, no, I feel like this is your Bato of the Water Tribe because I actually went back in my notes and I was like, what was that one that we just went over that I really didn't like? And you were like, no, I like this episode. Like, And I was like, no, this episode was weird and, and dumb. <laughs> and I think this, and is, dumb. This, this is your Bato of the Water Tribe because I'm here like, oh, this thing puts across some really interesting things and like it's a it's kind of a filler episode a kind of a self-contained story but they did some cool things you're like this is boring i don't remember any of this <laughs> i have no memory of this place <laughs> literally um and not to say that there's like it's all bad obviously because it's avatar there are good things in it but for me this is this is like what you know how people said about Bato of the Water Tribe that it was so out of character for like Sokka and Aang and Katara and just everyone felt out of character. Mm-hmm. That's kind of how I felt about this episode. Not that it's not true. It totally is in Bato. They totally feel out of character, but they also, Aang feels very out of character in this episode for me personally. Um, like it that? just, it's one of those things. It's for me, it's like from the very first scene mm-hmm. and I, I'm literally trying to remember from the very first scene when they're flying to the Northern Air Temple. <laughs> it's hard, guys. Um, and Aang is like so excited because he sees the, you know, the gliders and, you know, he's like, oh my gosh, it's, it's the other airbenders. And then the second he realizes that they're not, he gets like super upset and not like sad, but like- He's like real salty. Aang. Yeah. And I'm like, He puts Aang, the Aang the in angry. <laughs> seriously um he just gets like super petty and mean and i'm like okay, i get okay, it no, if you're no no hold on though <laughs> steve because i i thought that this it was an interesting an interesting thing because to me this felt more natural now yeah sure like you know him getting confrontational about things or characters that don't that getting just randomly for the sake of the story kind of salty about stuff yeah it can be a little out of character because they usually kind of get along i mean they're you know but like 
Aang really relies a lot and loves and enjoys his airbending. It's not just a, mm -hmm. a, a skill he develops. It's his, whole, it's his whole source of fun. It's how he gets around places. Mm -hmm. It's how he plays games. It, it, it's He flies on his glider with it. He rides on the airball. Like, he does all this stuff. It's his lifestyle. Right. And so to see people imitating it is kind of, like, insulting, it's appropriating Arab nomad culture. Yeah, okay, right, okay, right. Okay, like actually unironically though. It's like Yeah, no, they're, it, it they're do they're they're imitating it and it's almost like a cheap imitation that almost makes them look like they're charlatans because they are doing what airbenders do. And I think the fact that he mistook them for airbenders and then was like, oh, they're not really airbending kind of solidified mm. it that that's how he views it he views it like it's fake like aero aeronautics to him is like fake airbending mm. and if anything i think the episode without stating it made that the like growth point the lesson learned for him the industry was bad and it was overreaching into the sacred temple and defiling right. basically but i think without stating it i think it was that ang could appreciate what they were doing Especially with like um, Katara, you know, taking the glider mm -hmm. route, which is kind of cool. That was that was kind of a cool sequence over there with her flying in the thing. I was genuinely scared for her. I was like, if you fall, <laughs> that's it. He's gonna have to save you. Uh, you know. Yeah, and maybe that's why I just don't really care for it. Like, I don't like seeing Aang being petty. Like, it doesn't happen very often, but when it does, I really don't like it. <laughs> like, he can get angry. Like, I like when he gets angry because he often goes into the Avatar state, but. You know, being petty and spiteful and just kind of mean. I'm just like, that's that's not Aang. Um, but I, I have um, a note. My if it makes you feel better, my note for the episode literally says, "Interesting episode that would focus on everything else but the characters." Literally, it's seriously. It's they introduce all this stuff, and there's not really any. You know, like you said, they try to kind of have Aang have a sort of mini arc of accepting that things are different now. He's like the old man that like <laughs> won't accept the change. Um, and yeah, but like you said, they don't really do anything with it. They're just kind of like, yeah, okay, he's good now. It's fine. Darn <laughs> like, airplanes. Okay. The airplanes are stealing <laughs> our jobs. Literally. <laughs> I bet that if the Wright brothers were in the Avatar universe, they would 100% be airbenders. Right. Um yeah, but... why is Aang such a boomer in this episode? Because <laughs> he is. He's 112 years old. <laughs> Greatest generation That makes generation him more than a ever. boomer. <laughs> Greatest generation, my ass. Um, <laughs> the, but, uh... the thing that is good, though, about the episode that's also big pluses is that while the show can be kind of hit or miss with, like, hu like, it can either be really going for corny humor and, like, self-conscious mm -hmm. corny humor, or it's really knocking it out of the park with, like, really witty stuff. I like uh -huh. the little bit of just the goofiness of the inventor character. I thought, I honestly thought he was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> like, when he first meets him, he's like, what the doodle? And I'm like, that's, yeah, <laughs> that's my reaction there. What the doodle? What the doodle? Yeah, no, I... That actually is a positive for me. Um, it's not all bad, guys. Calm down. Um, but I do have nice things to say. Um, I do like the mechanist and um, the uh, his son, Theo, Theo, Theo. Oh, my God. See, this is literally, I can't remember. I think it's Theo. That sounds right. Mm -hmm. um, I think that they're both fun characters. And um, 
I like the design, you know, like of the inventor and his son. Like I like having the eyebrows singed off and the kind of monocle he wears and you know, I, having I, half of his fingers blown off. I, I loved that. It was like the knife sharpener and he's like took three tries to get it right and they <laughs> the fake fingers just like fall off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I like having another kind of off kilter, kooky, smart character. Like he's still very smart. Like he's mm-hmm. just kind of weird but he's still very smart and he obviously invents all these uh really cool inventions and um that kind of stuff but uh yeah i don't know i just i feel like they could have done more with those characters um you know had uh teo and ang have a heart to heart like maybe have them go out and you know fly instead of katara like you know the, the weird thing about this and i'll relate this to the uh Batu of the water tribe uh we complained or i complained about the episode that it felt like they were trying to make a story but it was too big of a story to fit into just 22 minutes and so the story points felt kind of rushed and so you lose things like character development in exchange for action or you know whatever and i feel like this episode is in a way the same way because again we talked about them having character arc moments open like doors that open and then we don't really walk fully into them and see where they go they don't really come full circle um one that does though which i thought was very cool and unique to this episode was uh the the twist that the guy was building weapons for the fire nation and that he was doing it for Mm -hmm. them to show up it was really ironic that they found out and he was like by the way they're gonna be here in like three minutes so you guys hide it just so happens to be the day they're showing up um right and also i love that the fire nation guy just shows up from like a pedestal on the floor argues with them for like 12 seconds and they attack him and he's like the fire nation shall hear of this and just leaves they just let him leave (laughs) they could have just like kidnapped him yeah and instead they just let him go oh i know and it's funny but yeah that just kind of proves that like the episode has kind of terrible pacing (laughs) Like, dude, this could have been, we could have, you know, cut some of the flying stuff or the, you know, Bay action scene at the end to kind of build on, like, these kind of interactions that seem like they would be more important than they are, like, within the episode. (laughs) Like, you know, why not have Aang, you know, confront this Fire Nation guy that, you know, is delivering a message to the mechanist or, you know, for certain episodes, certainly not all of them, but for certain episodes, um, you know, we talked about, I think in the previous episode or one of the previous episodes, we Mm -hmm. talked about how, why is winter solstice (laughs) my second least favorite episodes? We will never stop hating on that show. Um, Why is winter Winter solstice part one and two, a two parter, but the blue spirit and the storm aren't right. Like those are episodes that deserve to have a two part, you know, or make them just a two parter themselves, you know? Um, but uh yeah so i feel like if they took the approach with certain episodes kind of like how the clone wars does funnily enough with dave filoni um making kind of mini arcs within a season you know which they do a little bit in the second and third season but here it's much more episodic feeling um but yeah i do i do wish that they had done that you gotta wonder if any sort of critique or, or feedback like this came about the episodes in any way shape or form to them and that they kind of took notes like you're saying that they learned in a way that they learned from what they had already done mm. to be like okay next time we do this let's create a mini arc or make them two-parters and not just have these like villain of the week situation of the week episodes that we have to rush to tell the right. story in a so short short a time span 
we have to stop the volcano. I love that episode. <laughs> uh, I hate that it gets that it's always so low on people's lives. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it is. It's a very fun episode. Um, and see, I think there are a lot of things to enjoy. And ironically, for me, the most forgettable part of the episode was actually the end battle. Like I, I like the rest of the episode was so much more interesting because it opened a lot of interesting storytelling doors. It just rushed through them or didn't really complete them. Um, I loved seeing Sokka with the the mechanist. They're formulating the plans to figure out how to get the balloon to work, and the fact that the balloon at the end of the episode after the battle winds up still falling into Fire Nation hands. I was like, oh, that's really mm -hmm. cool. And it kind of foreshadowed <laughs> the next three episodes in so much as we see the Fire Nation forces now en masse. We're now seeing this giant mobilized army and we're seeing them get new war technology, which I'm sure is going to come back to bite them at some point. Mm -hmm. So Very, very astute observation. <laughs> So <laughs> we shall see if you're correct. <laughs> so the episode overall has a lot of really big positives for me. Um, it is rushed, but to be honest with you, I enjoyed it better than I enjoyed uh, the Bato episode, um, which again is a shame because it also had really good, really good points in it too. It just, it, it really, you know, that one felt really rushed. Like I wasn't able to appreciate them, but this one, I think I was, I was able to appreciate more things about it. Maybe I just liked the potential the episode had a little better um, in this mm -hmm. one. Um, and the plot didn't seem contrived. It seemed really reasonable. I just really wished it would have been a two-parter. Um, so I'm, that's fair. So I think I'm going to rate the Northern Air Temple episode like a 6.9 for me. Not terrible. Not even really truly bad. Just like I wish it was better. Mm -hmm. Oh man. I'm about to be mean. <laughs> I'm going to give this one a 5.5 out of 10. Ooh, <laughs> like brutal. Yeah uh brutal for me and i like playing devil's advocate i like you know giving episodes high scores but like this one i'm sorry it's just it's my least watched episode for a reason i just i can't get into it episode sorry. episode count I think, I, this, I think this is now episode either three or four i think three that you actually gave it a lower rating than i did this is the, i think this is the third yeah time. i know we need to like start keeping count <laughs> um but yeah no i know that I think that this was a fluke, honestly, for at least for me, for Elizabeth, because I know that the other episodes she's done, especially in season two and even into season three, are some of my favorites. So like her and Aaron are are great writers. Like they clearly know what they're doing. I think that this was just probably the first one that she ever wrote. Um, so she probably was trying to find her footing and all that as a writer, but she definitely found it later in the season. So I guess we can wrap it up as, as far as this episode by looking at it and going, what the doodle happened? <laughs> oh my god! I need to get that on a shirt. What the doodle? What the doodle? I'm sorry, I I, I can't forget that line. It's just written really big in my notes. What the doodle? Just right at the top. All right. Uh, the next episode is episode 18, the Water Bending Master. Also, a quick one I appreciate so much because, again, I've seen, I didn't stop after 18. I've watched 19 and 20 by now as well, uh, which we'll go over mm -hmm. in the next podcast. Uh, but it is great that this episode starts uh, a, a big arc here over three episodes leading to the conclusion. Um, 
Because when mm-hmm. I got to the end of episode 18, skipping to the end, working back for a second, just for a second, I actually didn't mm-hmm. know that it was like, I didn't realize I was that close to the season ending. And when they ended it <laughs> with a continuation, it was very clearly going to lead to the finale. I was like, oh. Oh my God. <laughs> this is it. This is it. Um, the ep- yep. So episode 18, The Waterbending Master, it is written by none other than Michael Dante DiMartino. It is directed mm-hmm. by, I feel like I'm getting nostalgia because this is taking me back to like the start of the series now. It's directed by <laughs> right. a man whose name we've gotten much better at pronouncing since, since episode one, Giancarlo Volpe, and is animated by JM Animation. The episode aired on November 18th, 2005. And the IMDb rating of uh, The Waterbending Master is 8.6 out of 10. Very, very high. And I'll say already, well-deserved. Well-deserved, I think. Yeah. Um, I I really like this episode. So before we get into that, um, we got some fun facts. Uh, So our first fun fact is Sokka mentions to Princess Yue that in his tribe, he is, quote-unquote, kind of like a prince, and Katara scoffs and makes fun of him. Considering that their father is the chief of the Southern Water Tribe, it would be correct to assume that Sokka and Katara are regarded as a prince and princess, respectively. Yeah. So I never even really thought of that. <laughs> That's so true. Yeah, no, when she, when she was making fun of him, I was sitting there looking at it, going, go, no way, no way. <laughs> You're right. No, he is a prince. No, no, no. He's got a point. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I was like, but yeah. wait, he is the prince. He's the, he's the son of the chief. I mean, I mean, the Southern Water Tribe is a kind of a humble settlement, I guess. Yeah, it's it, it's so small. They're not a kingdom, so but yeah. like, yeah, I, I was like, I mean, he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you're my prince, Sokka. You are my prince. You are here, <laughs> King. You dropped this. You're... <laughs> <laughs> right. Here's your crown. Literally. So, according to the DVD commentary for this episode, Master Paku's waterbending trick of trapping Katara in a cage of icicles was inspired from a scene in The House of Fly and of flying daggers yes there we go. yes i, I have actually, never seen that movie have you seen I that have, movie yes yeah it, it is it is very much like that it uh i almost want to like find find the the clip from it to show you <laughs> it's been a while since i've seen it that movie is from like 2005 i think but no but it did remind me it's like i've seen this in a movie i think it was house of flying daggers but like i could i couldn't place it mm. right at that moment very cool the song sung by Iroh is titled Four Seasons. The melody is used many times in this episode, as well as the two-part season finale. It's considered by fans to be Sokka and Yue's love theme. Um, I don't know if you noticed it. <laughs> I'm sure you did, because you noticed stuff like that. But I yeah, it, it gets me every time hearing that just such simple notes, just, you know, dun, 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 dun. Oh, it's beautiful. It's right in the field. Yeah. Yeah, so simple, but so beautiful. Um, and then finally, uh, speaking of Princess Yue, the name Princess, or pff, the name Princess, <laughs> Princess Yue's <laughs> name actually means moon in Chinese. Um, and this is ironic because Suki, you know, Sokka's other crush in mm. this season, names also means moon, but not in Chinese, in Japanese. He loves so Sokka's he, got a type. He, yeah, right. He loves these moon, these uh, these moon sign girls. So he really does. <laughs> these moon babes. I know. Um, <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine Sokka's dating profile? He's like. Le- 
likes long strolls under the moon and especially if your name means moon in another language <laughs> we're definitely never going to wind up together we're... it's going to be tragic <laughs> oh, uh, come gosh. stroll down heartbreak lane with Sokka Oh, oh, I my, would. My guy. <laughs> Worth it. <laughs> <laughs> Worth the heart. My man. <laughs> oh gosh. All right. Let me let me pull up my notes on this one. Okay. So first of all, I have really big <laughs> notes. I just have yes, the mighty Northern Water Tribe. Like I was so happy to see them <laughs> because we had talked it's about that, that the Southern Water Tribe was like a little bit more you know humble. But like, wait till you see the Northern Tribe. And I'm like, okay, can't wait to get to the North Pole. And mm-hmm. it did not disappoint. It was so cool. Um, so, yeah. so remember when we went to Amashu in episode three, uh, four, I think it was. And was it four or five? It actually was five. five. It was five. Remember when we went to Amashu yeah. in episode five? And I said something to the effect of, I can't really imagine how you make a city out of any of the other elements. I, I mean, I guess the Earth Nation really <laughs> has it all over and they must clean house on the other nations. Well, boy, <laughs> I'm, I, I am not too small of a man to admit when I have to eat my words because the yep. the ice bridges and the ice walls and everything just literally being turned into water and then being rebuilt right back up again wow like yeah i i was it's very really creative st- use of bending it's very stunning it's stunning it, i guess it took a little while since the start of the series for me to get really comfortable with the fact that the water bending allowed them to change not just shape the water but to literally gotta get nerdy for a second but to literally change (laughs) the molecular properties of the water to shift water in and out of its different forms like Mm -hmm. like it's kind of mind-blowing because think of it water is so i love it (laughs) well because think of it because like it's almost akin to the whole fire bending. Let me turn the uh, actual oxygen in my or the, the oxygen in my breath into fire. But like, think of it. The earthbenders can't do that. When's the last time you saw an earthbender grab some rock and like melt it into lava and throw it at a tank or something? You know, all they have is like mm-hmm. pocket sand. You know, the dirt. <laughs> That's why the dirt kingdom's sand. gonna lose. Dirt kingdom's gonna lose. Fire nation <laughs> all the way. I love, I mean, as I said in a previous episode, I am a waterbender. So I love the water tribe aesthetic. I love the colors and the use of their ice and the bending and just how it's integrated into their lives daily. You know, like you said, with it opening the bridges and the gates and things like that. It's it's so creative and so beautiful. And ugh, I just, I love it. And I love the, the uh, costumes, the outfits, you know, with the fur and everything and the blue. And it's, oh, I love it. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really gorgeous. You know, not like that dirt color that's all over everything. I promise I'm done. Um, so <laughs> I was super happy that this whole arc was came to fruition for Katara. Because this has been going mm-hmm. on since literally the first scene of the first episode <laughs> of the series. Her, right. her getting control over her waterbending and needing a teacher and seeing her and fighting the the patriarchy (laughs) yes and her fighting against the patriarchy her combating the system 
And never has it been worse than it is here, where they're literally like, yeah, we we don't teach you because you're a girl. You want to be a, you know, be a waterbender? You go over there with literally the children and learn baby waterbending, where you can make, you know, the healing. You can make it feel better. Right, the healing. <laughs> uh, and, like, it, it, all he would have had to do was tell her to get in the kitchen, and it would have pretty much... They, he might as well just come out and said it. He said everything but that. It was really Literally. nauseating. He was a really unlikable character. Like we talked about the firebending uh, master from a couple of episodes ago, um, and how he was a, mm-hmm. a tough dung. Yes, yeah. yes, and how he was a very, um, a very strict teacher, and how I really liked that. I liked that he wasn't like, oh, the avatar is here, goody goody. Let me teach you everything I you know that that I know. Oh, great one! Like this guy's a really nasty teacher. Like, all right, sure, we'll teach you. And mm-hmm. and it really made him unlikable. And I I want to talk for a second about characters that are introduced with the intention of us not liking them. And then mm-hmm. bringing us through an amazing arc. Like, let's just talk about Master Paku for a bit. And bringing us through okay. an arc of getting to know this character to where our feelings could change. And I'm going to go and make a daring statement that the writers, I think, did not dictate for us what what we were supposed to feel differently about Master Paku. Because partly mm-hmm. through the episode, it's revealed, and I have to like remember exactly how this worked. So, so there was the necklace that belonged to mm-hmm. Grand Grand that Katara wears around her neck, and when that came off, he recognized it as the necklace that he had, like carved or whatever, for her. He had made mm-hmm. it and gave it to her. Was there ever like a definitive like this is the reason why they never got married thing? Because I think Katara at one point threw in his face that like that like she didn't like the way his culture was. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, if I remember the line correctly, basically Katara says she wouldn't let your tribe dictate her life, like the customs of the tribe of not letting women, right. okay. you know, learn water bending and all that. Um and so she left. She went to the southern tribe. Which is really um, ironic, because then Grand so, yeah. Grand didn't want her to learn waterbending either. So, like, Grand Grand, make up your mind. Well, no, it's not that it's not that she didn't want her to waterbend. I think it's just that she knew, because she's lived through different sieges from the Fire Nation, that it was dangerous ah, for Katara okay. to openly, kind of like with Haru, you know, how he couldn't earthbend yeah, and all I that. Gotcha. So, like, that's more what it is for Grand Grand. But, uh-huh. um, yeah, so... I think that that's kind of, yeah, like she's very much like Katara in the fact that she didn't want to be a part of that, you know, backwards, okay. you know, but culture I did, but I where they I, didn't. But I didn't miss anything out of the episode where like somebody clarified it. She threw no, it in his no, face. No. And as far as we know, that's the actual reason. Like, like, yes. Okay. There's not more to it that I missed. Okay. She, she guessed and she was right when she threw that sick burn at him. Um, <laughs> right. If burns were any sicker, she could be a firebender. Um, Hell yeah. But the thing about it was that it, it revealed a thing about his past. And then at the end of the episode, he changes his mind because then he takes her on as the student. Like, but like, 
does he do it kind of like an mm -hmm. apology for the fact that like his stupid culture alienated grand grand and so like he sees how gifted that katara is and this time he's not gonna like make the same mistake twice but like in a weird way balancing the scales here you know i that's really the only weak point of the episode for me is like the the turn heel that he does is so drastic and so sudden and there's not really an explanation for it you just kind of have to read into it like well maybe he's impressed by her you know amazing bending without having a teacher or maybe it's because he feels like a kind of kinship with her of like this is kind of technically my granddaughter in a way or maybe he feels guilty and just knows he ought to make it up to you know for for the fact that she's wearing grand grand grand's grand. necklace he's gonna make it up to grand grand you know <laughs> Yeah, so, you know, I think it could be all of them or none of them, but, like, that's kind of how I always saw it, is, like, most, first and foremost, he is impressed. I mean, he even said, yeah. like, impressive, most impressive. You are an excellent waterbender. Yeah. And I'm like, hell yeah, she is. She's beating your ass. Um, obviously, he, <laughs> he wins. But, um, she was putting up a really good fight. So I think that is the thing that initially kind of changed his mind. And then the necklace just solidified. He's like, okay. This girl has potential. She is basically my kin. I'm going to teach her. You know what I mean? I have a pet theory. And fans of both Star Wars and Avatar The Last Airbender tell me you don't see it too. So like <laughs> arrogant, patriarchal, master of his art, Master Paku, Count Dooku, anyone? Like, come on. <laughs> Hard-headed, arrogant old guy. I'm seeing I'm seeing Dooku with Obi-Wan where he's like, Master Kenobi, you disappoint me. Master Yoda spoke so highly of you. Surely you could do better. Like that little taunting, and he's like so artful with his water bending. Like, I'm sorry, right. I just got do big Dooku energy from him. <laughs> Jesus. Oh god, words I never thought here. <laughs> that term is trademarked. Anytime anybody says big Dooku yeah. energy, I get 15 cents. <laughs> I didn't really think about that, but now I can't unsee it. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, he's even got the blue lightning to prove it. Yes. Um, <laughs> they're the same character. See? <laughs> um, except that Paku is not on the dark side. You know, since we're on Master Paku, I just got to say, this guy, he can back up his attitude. Like, he is probably, like, obviously Katara has not fully mastered waterbending yet. Um, but he is a full-blown master and he might be one of the best waterbenders in avatar yeah. not necessarily leading into legend of Korra, but just in avatar by itself um mm -hmm. he's definitely one of the best and i think having katara learn from him helps her so much like in the long run and we see that you know in future seasons how much she progresses because of his training yeah. um and so I like that he's not all talk. Like, he can really back up oh, yeah. the fact that, yeah, I'm one of the waterbenders in the world. What are you going to do about it? Like, little girl. Yeah. It challenges us then as, as, you know, the audience with a character like this to take somebody and make him really unlikable for a lot of reasons. He represents an ideology that by now we all naturally oppose, which is that women are relegated to a lesser role in society. So he we already dislike him strongly for that and rightly so um he also is yeah. just mean 
to the main characters, which is and makes anybody automatically dislike uh, dislikable. Like he's 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 just mean for no reason. He's mean just to be mean because he enjoys being mean. I I, I kind of love right. that scene where like Aang is training with him, and Aang I forget what happened, and then Aang's like down, and then he's as he's getting up. Mr. Parker just smacks him with another like wall, and, it's, yep. and, and, and the scene just cuts as soon as Aang just got with water. <laughs> like, oh, he's in for it now. <laughs> yep. We just have this idea of Aang just getting slapped around with water for like hours on end, being like, Katara wanted to train with this guy. <laughs> right. I'm here because I have yeah. to. I'm the Avatar. She wanted to come here. Right. Even though I think that the heel turn was a bit quick and not very well defined um, why he did it, why he decided to train her. I'm glad that he did. You know, I, I felt like they could have drawn it out because um, it is a three parter, basically. But I'm glad that they didn't. I'm glad that at the end of the episode, we move on. It's not, you know, because if we dwelled on it too much, yeah. it would feel really preachy. And it it borders on being preachy. But for me, like, it just it felt because we kind of talked about this in the first episode um, with, you know, Sokka being like this towards her, it just feels like it's part of the world. Like it's world building that, you know, this, this great, awesome water tribe, you know, the Northern water tribe, they have certain roles that they relegate the women to like healing and all that. And they're not allowed to fight. Okay. Well, then Katara comes in who does want to fight has a very fiery temper and is very skilled. She just needs someone to help hone that skill. And, she kind of, you know, knocks this man off of this pedestal that he's on um, and, you know, teaches him a lesson and he actually internalizes it and he becomes better. And then we move on and it's like, wow, all within one episode. Great. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but in, yeah, no I problem. think it's literally the start of the next episode where he's training and like, she's beaten up a whole bunch of the other trainees Correct me if I'm wrong, but the mm -hmm. other trainees that he, he has, the other pupils that he's pitting against her, are all still just just boys, right? They're all just men, young men, training yeah. under him. She is still the only girl. So that's the other thing, is that he makes an exception for her. It's not so unbelievable as that she turns this old guy who is set in his ways and who lives faithful to an entire culture that he represents, that this guy is like, oh, I'm going to suddenly start taking everybody as my student. Thank you. You have changed my my entire outlook on right. life. You know, Master Paco's through, through small heart grew three sizes that day. No, it's not what happened. <laughs> I was going to make... I was going to make an Albie the racist dragon from Flight of Concourse. And suddenly he wasn't sexist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Literally. they don't do that with him. They, he, all of this builds up for him to make an exception for her. And that's the cool thing I like about the character is that now it challenges us as an audience to, with this character. He still believes everything that he's believed. He, he's not making this exception mm -hmm. for anything except really personal reasons. And so do we do we think better of him for that? Do we think better of the character just because he's nice to the main characters? Like it's really interesting. I don't know. Anybody who's listening who's who's, you know, uh, 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 given this any thought about Master Paku, what do you think of the character? Like do you did you come away from this being like, yeah, like I walked away liking him from this episode or were you like, mm, no, we need he needs to prove himself a little bit more. He's still just a nasty old guy. <laughs> I'm really, really curious about <laughs> fan opinions on the character. So, and both are totally valid. I mean, there's 
he's definitely one of those characters that it could go either way. <laughs> I personally like him because, you know. Um, I don't want to spend though so much time on Master Paku that we don't appreciate that this is really Katara coming into her own. This is finally oh, yeah. her time to shine. Her fight against him, I was riveted. I don't think I've been that riveted to a fight, like a dual fight, since gosh Zhao and Zuko yeah that was exactly where I was rewinding and stopping at was the Zhao third and Zuko. episode yeah yeah um thank you seriously the one-on-one -on -one duels in a very sort of formal like tournament style setting where it's a one-on-one -on -one, it's a duel is is a riveting setting for me it's one thing if you're if they're fighting each other and they're fighting in the woods because like who cares if it's two people fighting in the woods and they're trying to kill each other you die you're in you leave, leave you in the woods nobody really knows and you go home but like here where it's right. a formal duel there's an audience there's a difference it's there's a stake of of honor and your beliefs that are put on the line that you're dueling for a reason it's a it's a conflict of thought not just I hate mm -hmm. this person and want to kill them. That's fighting. This is a right. duel, and I love it. It makes the stakes and storytelling so much higher, and I absolutely loved it. Yeah, no, I this this to me is probably the best. Yeah, this is this is the best fight of this of the first season. Um, like we've had so much build up to this moment, and watching Katara go from barely being able to hold a fish you know, in a little bubble of water in the first episode to suddenly like kicking ass and just, but it feels mm -hmm. earned because we see her practicing constantly and trying to learn better with the waterbending scroll. And, you know, just in her free time, she's constantly practicing. So she, it feels earned. Um, and the way that they use the water and the ice and just the environment is just so ingenious and brilliant and it perfectly shows off the tai chi elements of you know water bending which is what water bending is based off of i told you that in one of the first episodes um of using your opponent's force against them mm -hmm. you know she's constantly redirecting the water bending you know whatever master paku throws at her she throws it right back because right. that's what tai chi is and it's just oh it's visually gorgeous and oh i'm so glad that jm animated yeah right you know what's great though about the visual aspect is not just that it's stunning but it's excellent visual storytelling because one of the mm -hmm. things i love about the fight is the way it demonstrated that she was learning by doing because you mm -hmm. mentioned even in the first episode when we were going over the first episode how her her um her emotions are a huge key mm -hmm. to her power where when she's angry like when she was screaming at Sokka and broke uh broke the iceberg that um mm -hmm. that that unlocks a whole different level of her power well it was great because throughout the course of the fight we see two things we see her fighting back with a lot of just fiery conviction and we're watching her do well in terms of power but the fight against master paku is teaching her blow by blow step by step stage by stage of the fight how to get control of that her conviction and the the emotion behind her strength doesn't start waning it doesn't weaken but she starts honing it and you watch her get more controlled and one of the things i love about it is that the more the fight goes on the more her hair gets undone until it's just all mm -hmm. loose hanging on her shoulders and that moment where she gets like 
boom, hit by the water, and all of her hair falls down on her shoulder, and she looks up with just this, it could be looked as, like, a resignation, like, of defeat, but it's not. It's this, like, acceptance of where she's at, and this, like, this is what I can do, this is where I'm at, this is what's happening to me right now, and she just, it all clicks together. I just, I love it. Yeah, no, it's it's a great, great fight scene, um, and yeah, I, I don't even know what else to say about it. It's so good. I think I remember um, the Avatar extras for this episode saying that um, Michael Dante DiMartino and Brian Konitzko, that this was one of their favorite fights of this season. Um, like this, and I think also the Zuko and Zhao Duel, I think they said were the two favorites. And yeah, the, they are both fantastic for totally different reasons, obviously. But mm. um you know, I think that this one is definitely my favorite for this season. It's it's so good. And, you know, I again I don't know what else to say. It was it was the the high point of the episode and then the big uh ending with the necklace. I told you this thing, you thought it the, the necklace arc was done, but it's not. It's back, baby. <laughs> I love seeing that. I love seeing Katara come into her own and I love that she didn't win. Like that yeah. was a big thing. And even as a kid, I liked that she didn't win because that I wouldn't have believed it. And I'm like, no, she would make she would put up a good fight for sure, but she there's no way she would win. Not against Master Paku. Right. A fight um, where somebody she else is, a fight where she tries, shows her stuff and fails, but like it's not that she didn't fail. She failed to beat him in the duel, but she's it, it right. her success is him seeing what she can do because regardless of whether she won or lost it, it proved her to him she proved herself so i love that for her i love katara so much and i hate that she is such i swear people are so split on katara and it makes me mad Wait, <laughs> like what people either love her like oh i know you didn't oh well i guess you wouldn't know but <laughs> i keep forgetting i'm a man a on an island <laughs> and every once in a while somebody drops a survival <laughs> box with avatar the last airbender in it and then i i, I talk to you about it katara is actually a pretty divisive character um i she's got her super fans like me i absolutely love her and then they've got people like my sister rachel that does not like her um and why I don't know. She's too motherly. She's too naggy. She's like overbearing. And I'm like, yeah, there's called character flaws. Well, what does she like, want what... her to be like? What does she want her to be? I don't know. Like, cause then if you took away those flaws, all you have left is that she's a badass. She is like super competent. Right. She's, she's you a, know, she's a fast a, learner. Then, then she's a Mary Sue dude, at that point. She, I know. She, she's like, just a prodigy why... with wa of water bending with no other no other characteristics other than I'm good at what I do and I'm tough. And like that's incredible right. that's incredibly boring. That's like 80s action right. hero but like a female twist on it. It's one dimensional. Right. And it's the same thing with Korra who I also adore, one of my favorite characters in all of Avatar. Um you know, people are so split on her as a character too. And I'm just like, y'all, y'all are just wrong. I'm sorry. Um, you can have your wrong opinion. It's fine. I would jump on, I would jump on the view that it's because she's a female character, but I'm not going to lie. I feel like these days, no character is safe. Like every character just gets ripped apart these days. I'm not saying it doesn't happen probably more to female characters because it definitely has happened to them more in the last 10 years as more female main yeah. protagonists of books and movies and shows have come out. But like, I don't know. I feel like people are just 
very harsh critics of things. Um, I don't know. It's really weird for me to yeah. realize that a character that I really love and enjoy has like detractors. It's just weird to hear about. I mean, like I can imagine oh, it, but like, yeah, no, we love Katara. She's great. I also want to make sure that we don't forget to mention. Um, I had a huge gasp moment with Prince Zuko. Oh yeah, what part? Oh, well, I think I know, but go ahead. Yeah, where they literally blow him up. <laughs> They blew him up, you bastard. <laughs> you killed yeah, Prince yeah. Zuko. <laughs> you uh, bastard. <laughs> but like I I knew obviously I knew he wasn't dead, but I was just like he comes yeah. walking on the ship and I was like, dude, be careful. Dude, come on, be careful, man. Dude, don't walk in there. Don't do it, man. Don't do it, bro. Like I was literally screaming at the screen. I was like, get out, jump out the window, man. And then the thing just goes out, and I was like, no, no. Did it get? Did it get the other side of his face? Full face, just Freddy Krueger. <laughs> oh, I didn't know God. what was going to happen to him. I... First of all, the beginning of that sequence with Uncle Iroh coming in to his room is very funny to me. I yeah. I relate to Zuko so hard in that moment <laughs> where Uncle Iroh just comes in. It's a lovely night for a walk. You should join me. And he's like, or no. you can stay here in the dark. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like that's literally me. Um. But uh, really? and then we get the return. Mm -hmm. Like I said, everything comes back eventually. We got the return of the pirates from the waterbending yep. scroll. Yep. Um, and that I think that that was a great kind of way to bring them back in because, yeah, they did fight with Zuko in that episode and they would know who he is and they would have beef with him. So it makes yeah. sense to bring them back to like blow him up. Yeah, you know? yeah and they certainly <laughs> don't want to fight him head to head. So, of course, they would just try to assassinate him. Cowards. In, in the actual uh, explosion scene when they try to kill him, I don't know if you noticed, but it's literally a blink and you miss it type thing. Um, you sometimes have to go frame by frame. But when the explosion happens and the fire kind of comes into the bridge room, Zuko actually creates a ball of fire around himself to protect it. himself before getting blown out of the window. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, that it's literally blink and you miss it, but it's so cool. And it, like that's such quick thinking. Mm -hmm. um, and I really love that moment. Yeah. He's a survivor. <laughs> Takes more than a giant explosion yeah. to kill him. Literally, that's that is certainly one thing you could say about Zuko. He is no matter what, he is a survivor, and that's a, a theme that comes up in the next two episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, but uh yeah, I, I do love that whole, you know, kind of mini mini story with him, you know, basically about bleh, what are words <laughs> attempting <laughs> to be assassinated and then going undercover. Um, as a Fire Nation soldier so that he can get into the Northern Water Tribe. I think that that's a really cool idea. Um, but I want to talk real quick about Sokka and Yue because mm -hmm. this is a big part of the next three episodes, or mm -hmm. sorry, the next two episodes after this one. And I want to know your thoughts on it for this particular episode. Well, I feel like I'll have more to say about it in the next episodes where things start to come together. Um it's in I'm speaking <laughs> in the context of just this episode i i liked i liked the connection i thought that they made it a very genuine sort of thing but i mean like if i was her bestie and she was on the phone with me talking about Sokka, i'd be like be careful though because are you sure you actually genuinely like this guy or are you just happy that there's somebody who has interest in you and who's fun to be around that like you're not being forced to marry and you just like the break from that 
Right. Are you sure you're not just using him as a little escape from your horrible, you know, arranged marriage situation? But. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's totally valid. I mean, that is a totally valid reading. Um, I also have mixed feelings on this relationship. Um, I guess mostly positive, but I'll save the negative for later. But I will say that for this episode, just by itself, um, I totally get what you're saying about the puppy love. It really is. It is probably the most realistic depiction of like a teenage crush, because they're both teenagers, yeah. um, that I've ever seen. It is immediate. It is based solely on attraction because they're both hot and that makes sense. And then, you know, when he actually gets to talk to her, it's awkward, but like charming, awkward, not like, Oh, cringe awkward. Um, and he even gets a good line in like the, <laughs> the one that gets me like genuinely, if someone said this to me, Oh my God, I would just fall head over heels. Take notes, fellas. It was when they're, yeah, right. Um, it was the line uh, when they were like, he was walking beside her boat and all that. And they were talking and, you know, he mentioned the party that they had talked at the previous night. And, you know, he was just like, well, you know, or she said, I'm so glad you had a great time at the party or whatever. And he said, you know, well, it wasn't as much fun after you left. And she just blushes. And I'm like, girl, say, <laughs> that was so smooth. I it. Wow. And I'm like, Walker, you play it. He is so smooth. <laughs> he slipped on his own smoothness and fell into Literally. the water. <laughs> Literally. And that just kind of adds to the charm. I'm like, oh, I love him so much. He's so in love. <laughs> like, it genuinely is, like I said, attraction based at first because he doesn't even speak to her and he immediately is like, whoa, like, who is that? Yeah. Um, but then when he actually does talk to her and they do have, you know, those uh, small moments of talking with each other you can tell that, yeah, they both are interested in each other. It's more than just looks yeah. like, and it feels very genuine and sweet. And, you know, the problems come in later, but um, in this episode, I really like them. Um, I like their connection. And uh, yeah, I, don't know. I will have more to say about it in the next episode. We will. <laughs> we will. Because there's a lot of, I just to bring there's a lot of, because there's a lot of fuses that have been lit in this episode. There's the Fire Nation oh, yeah. uh, invasion that is pending. There is the uh, training of Katara where she has proven herself to Master Paku. And there is the uh, lit fuse of burning love between Sokka and Yue. And will it blow up in their faces? Well, well. Found out next week because we will be tackling the uh, season finale episodes 19 and 20 next time. That's all for today. To all of our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode, so feel free to leave a review or comment, follow the podcast, give us a good rating, and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.